Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 27th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 1 to 21. Ezekiel begins his seventh and final oracle against the Gentiles as he preaches against Pharaoh and all of Egypt. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks. It's good to be back. Pastor Preuss, as we get started, let's talk a little bit of context. Within the book of Ezekiel, we've been in this section on the oracles against the Gentiles, oracles against the nations. This is the last in the series. Just in terms of, of that literature, oracles against nations, we've talked from the, the previous guests that this is often a difficult type of scripture for us to, to make use of, to understand. Sometimes the historical details are a little bit difficult for us to know. What do we do with a text like Oracle, an oracle against the nation? And then any other context that's going to help us with this particular one that we're going to start that deals with Egypt today? Yeah. Well, I think the, the his, historical thing is probably the mo- mo- most difficult thing to, to touch on. Uh, I mean, uh, even for historians, there's, there's, there are a lot of missing gaps. But uh, I think the, the easy thing to, to recognize is that God is king. So you have all of these nations that have rejected God, they've served false gods, and Ezekiel, or God through Ezekiel, is making known that God is actually the one who's in charge. That is the Lord, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah is is in charge. So uh, there are un, uh, distinct prophecies that he makes against these nations, uh, but there are some repeating uh, some repeating themes. So one would be uh, he's punishing them for their mistreatment or ill treatment uh, against. Israel and Jerusalem and Judah, uh, specifically when they would gloat over the destruction of Israel, which is kind of an interesting thing. It's kind of like if you, I mean, if you have a, a number of children and you punish one of them for being uh, bad, and then another kid laughs at the child who's being punished, so then he gets punished because this isn't a laughing matter. Uh, but there are there are a couple of examples where uh, he, I think, it's with Ammon. They say aha, aha, and then Tyre says aha uh, when uh, when the, the gates of Jerusalem are broken into, and God punishes him uh, for for that. So he punishes them for uh, for gloating or attacking or mistreating Israel. He punishes them for uh, worshiping false gods and for rejecting him as the Lord. And uh, he punishes them. This is very specific with Egypt for uh, crediting themselves for their glory and strength and power. So I think what's really helpful with these is that we see that God, the Lord God, is the God of the entire world, not just of this little Middle Eastern nation of Israel, 
but he is the God of, of every land, and uh, no one can escape his judgment. And all nations, all rulers, all governments at all times and all places rule at his pleasure uh, and, uh, and will cease ruling at his pleasure. Now, those are helpful repeated themes that we see in these oracles against the nations that do help us take those and, and make use of them in our lives still today. Today, we're starting one that deals with Egypt, and this is going to stretch over several chapters in this section of the book of Ezekiel. But the very first verse gives us some of the context. It says that Ezekiel received this word on the 10th day, or sorry, excuse me, in the 10th year, in the 10th month, on the 12th day of the month. So, Help us, what, what date are we talking about, and what's the surrounding context leading up to this particular time period when Ezekiel receives this word against Egypt? Yeah, uh, Ezekiel is one of those books where you, you have to do a lot more reading, uh, not just of the chapter. Like you can't just pick up a chapter and read it. You, you usually have to go back and find what else he's saying, uh, but also just the, the Bible. Uh, and it, it, it's funny because Ezekiel starts out saying, you know, in the 30th year, and like in the 30th year of what? And you think, well, I, I think most people think that's the 30th year of Ezekiel's life. But then he, the second verse, he says, in the fifth year of the uh, of the exile of King uh, Jehoiakim. Is that how it starts, or is it the yeah? You got it. Of the, yeah, I got it. Okay, good, yep. good. So, and I think that's what we're dealing with right here: the tenth year, the tenth month, on the twelfth day. This would be the 10th year, the 10th month, the 12th day of the exile of King Jehoiakim, uh, or of uh, the, the, the reign of Zedekiah in Jerusalem. So if you remember, uh, you had uh, Jehoiakim, who becomes king, uh, and then and he reigns for 11 years. And then he dies, and then Jehoiakim becomes king, but he's only king for three months. And, uh, and he is then t- removed by Nebuchadnezzar. So uh, that would be about 597 B.C. Uh, is when Jehoiakim uh, is then taken to Babylon. And he lives there for the rest of his life. And uh, I think uh, it sounds like after like 30-some years, he is taken out of prison and, uh, and set up at, and sits at the, the king of Babylon's table. Uh, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts them in, in chains. And then, of course, there are political talks of, of Jehoiakim. These people are, have hopes of him coming back and reigning in, in, uh, in Judah. So this is 10 years later, so this is uh, probably around 587 B.C. And if you're reading through Ezekiel in chapter was in 26 or 24, in chapter 24, uh, you have the siege of Jerusalem. And this, he uses almost the exact same words as Second uh, Kings chapter 25, where he says, In the ninth year, in the ninth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. And then he talks about the, the siege of Jerusalem. Well, those, that's the exact same year, month, and day that uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and uh, besieges Jerusalem with Zedekiah in there, and he besieges them for two years. So this time, it's... it's about 587 B.C., it's after uh, Nebuchadnezzar has begun to besiege Jerusalem. This is, from my counting, the third time he's besieged Jerusalem. Uh, but and this is the last time, and it's two years before, uh, and, and uh, that's a two-year-long uh, you know, siege. 
and it's before the final breaking of the of the wall and the capturing of Zedekiah and the gouging out of his eyes and the burning down of the temple. So the temple hasn't been burned down yet. Zedekiah hasn't been captured yet. Uh, but uh, Jerusalem is completely surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar's troops. So it's in that context that the Lord is going to give his word to Egypt, against Egypt, here in Ezekiel chapter 29. Uh, in terms of just the, the structure of this part of the book of Ezekiel, chapters 25 through 32 are these oracles against the nations. This is the seventh and the, the final section. I suppose there are, you might think of them multiple units within this, but it all deals with Egypt from here on on out through this section. And and this may come up a little bit later too, but this isn't, in terms of the, the dating of these oracles, this isn't actually the last one. We, we're kind of moving back in time a little bit. The oracle against Tyre was the 11th year, according to this dating. Now we're back to the 10th year. Just in, in terms of how this is structured and with Egypt receiving so much material, is, is there a reason theologically or historically, you think, that Egypt gets put here in this last climactic place? Yeah, I think uh, it probably has to do with what's mentioned later on in this chapter, beginning in verse 17, where he says, The 27th year and the first month and the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor against Tyre. And then he goes on to talk about how, although he labored against Tyre, he didn't get anything from it. And then, uh, so he's saying that he's giving the land of Egypt as payment to Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar labored for the Lord against Tyre. So, uh, yeah, you're right. The, the beginning of this chapter, the prophecy, is about a year before, is it about a year before Tyre? Uh, yeah, about I, a year. Give the month. It's about a year before Tyre's uh, prophecy, but uh, it's coming after because I think it's, uh, one, they want to, he wants, probably wants to keep Egypt, the, the prophecy against Egypt in this, you know, three-chapter or four-chapter section, uh, and then also uh, it's, it's, in, it's, it's in relation to what he had just talked about with Tyre. So in uh, the, the previous prophecy, he talks about the destruction of Tyre, and here he's going to be referencing the, the destruction of Tyre. So yeah, the, the prophecies aren't necessarily in order. There's, a, um, there's more of a, a logical uh, ordering of it than, than a chronological ordering. Sure, very, very good. And actually, you may have been right. The the prophecy against Tyre was the eleventh year on the first day of the month, and this is the tenth yeah, year, right. tenth month. So maybe it's not that not that huge of a gap. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. And then just one more by way of introduction, Pastor Preuss. You know, Egypt is, I think, such a, a well known enemy of the people of Israel within the scriptures, particularly because of what happens in the book of Exodus, that maybe we take it for granted. But just can you give us a a brief rundown in terms of the historical background of Israel's relationship with Egypt, anything in particular that might be helpful for us to remember as we think about what the Lord's going to speak against Egypt in these next several chapters? Yeah, well, pretty much what we have is Egypt is a false crutch for uh, Israel. And it's one of these things where once a nation starts depending on another nation, they're going to get the short end of the stick, of mm. the stick and they're going to be mistreated. Uh, so I'll, I was talking to you, you know, before we started recording about, uh, I'm, doing, uh, I'm doing devotions with my family, and we're going through First uh, Kings right now. And 
the, the king of Egypt, I mean, this is it's kind of like the, the pinnacle of Israel's power. So we all know about the exodus from Egypt, they're slaves in Egypt, but Pharaoh takes over cities and gives them to Solomon as a dowry for his wife. Hmm. Uh, well, that was, you know, so then you have Egypt and, and Israel pretty much on equal, uh, you know, they're, they're peers with each other. Uh, and it only goes downhill from there. And of course, you, I think most, well, you, you might be familiar with uh, Josiah, who was the greatest king. I mean, after David, uh, he was pious. He restored uh, the Passover. Uh, he restored the temple. Uh, and then he goes out and he, he fights against Egypt and is killed. And then Egypt doesn't just end there. They then remove uh, his king, the, the, the king who follows after Josiah, uh, and, uh, and, and replaces him with, with another king. So, the, uh, so Egypt is a bully. They, uh, are, they demand tributes from Israel or, or from Jerusalem, uh, and they don't give what, they, what they're paid for. Uh, they're, uh, Israel, will, will, Israel and, Judah, and Judah will go to Egypt for help instead of calling out to the Lord. So you have these prophets who are prophesying to the kings, prophesying to the people, saying you're, you're, you're sinning against God, you're worshiping false gods, you're, you're not following the Lord with all your heart, call to him and he'll help you. And then uh, to, to show that God is, uh, means business, he will send them famine, he will send them enemies, uh, other nations will be attacking them. And then what does Israel and what does Judah do in response to this? Instead of turning to the Lord and saying, help us from our enemies, they go to Egypt. And then Egypt, of course, mistreats them. So it's kind of like uh, if you have a woman who has a good husband and, uh, she, and, and he rebukes her for being unfaithful, and then she just keeps on running to some abusive boyfriend. And he just keeps, and the husband keeps on saying, just come back to me and I'll take care of you. And she, and she is afraid for whatever reason or doesn't trust in her husband. It keeps on going to some abusive boyfriend who just pummels her and beats her up and mistreats her and takes her money and, and doesn't give her the protection that it is actually promised her in her marriage. Well, I mean, I think that that illustration there, I mean, it's a reminder that Egypt now is going to receive judgment for what they're doing to the people of Israel. You know, on, on the one hand, and I think it, you know, in the historical context with, with Egypt being this crutch, it's, it's right around this time where Zedekiah reaches out to Egypt, hoping that Egypt will defend them against Babylon. And Egypt sort of almost comes through at a moment where, where Babylon is forced to break the siege to deal with an Egyptian threat. But of course, Babylon comes back because Egyptian, Egypt doesn't end up being the, the help that they, they promised they'll be. And I think that that's a reminder that, you know, yes, the Lord has plenty to say to his people, Judah, for the way they reach out to Egypt for help, and, and he holds them accountable for that. But Egypt also gets held accountable here for their abuse of the people of God. And I mean, that goes back, I think, to the, the way you started. God is king over all. All these nations are accountable to him. And we're definitely going to see that here with the oracles against Egypt starting in this chapter. Any, any way, anything more on, by way of introduction before we jump into the text? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, and Babylon is God's instrument right now. Yeah. So uh, the, the thing with them, with Zedekiah, uh, you know, trying to get help from 
Egypt. I mean, it's this is you know, it's a little bit too late. I mean, he's thinking about the olden days where Egypt might have been a help. But uh, again, at the end of Second uh, Kings, uh, it says that Egypt no longer, you know, the Pharaoh no longer left the boundaries of, of Egypt. So uh, Babylon is the, the major power in the world right now. Uh, Assyria, which we know, you know took the northern kingdom of, of Israel uh, captive, they've been defeated. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, I mean, he's the most powerful dog right now. Uh, so, and, and, and again, like what you pointed out, they're all under God. So Nebuchadnezzar, although he's this great historical figure, is nothing but a pawn in God's, uh, in God's chess match. I mean, he's, he's using him as his tool. Let's check out what the prophet Ezekiel is given to speak against the nation of Egypt. We're picking up the text in Ezekiel 29, beginning at the first verse. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams, that says, My Nile is my own, I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams stick to your scales. And I will draw you up out of the midst of your streams with all the fish of your streams that stick to your scales. And I will cast you out into the wilderness, you and all the fish of your streams. You shall fall on the open field and not be brought together or gathered. To the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the heavens I give you as food. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel, when they grasped you with the hand, you broke and tore all their shoulders. And when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins to shake. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring a sword upon you, and will cut you off, cut off from you man and beast. And the land of Egypt shall become a desolation and a waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord." I'll pause there. That's the middle of verse 9. Pastor Price, just briefly by way of uh, structure here in this section of Ezekiel, in verse 2, Ezekiel is given to prophesy both against Pharaoh and all Egypt. In, in terms of the way that this is going to play itself out over the next several chapters, how, how can we structure this prophecy against Egypt? Well, the uh, are you talking about just what you've read or the— or the entire the entire uh, chapters twenty nine through thirty two. Okay, yeah. Well, th- this follows a, a similar outline to the prophecy against Tyre, uh, where, where you have first is the prophecy against Egypt. Of course, we just heard there it's Pharaoh and Egypt. Then you have a lament over Egypt, and then uh, you have a prophecy against Pharaoh personally, and then again you have a lament over Pharaoh. Uh, and Egypt. So it's a very similar outline to what you had against Tyre. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's... Right. That's I, that's just helpful, I think, to, to see those similarities within the book, because both Tyre and, and excuse me, not Tyre and Sidon, that's what I always put together, Tyre and Egypt here, they, they find both very long sections here in this section of Ezekiel. So to see that similar outline, I think, is helpful. So in terms of what we have for the text today... We start off with why the Lord is against the people of Egypt. He does mention Pharaoh particularly, 
And this sounds an awful lot like what was going on with Tyre in terms of the, and maybe even the Prince of Tyre and the claims of, and I think you pointed this out, the taking glory for themselves. And here it relates particularly to the Nile River, which makes sense. That's a huge feature in Egypt. What are these first couple of verses, verses three through six, what is the Lord saying against Egypt? Well, he is, uh, he is accusing Pharaoh specifically, and then Egypt with him, of claiming that Egypt is, is their own, that they've made Egypt this great nation. Uh, and the, the, the Nile, the river, and everyone knows what the Nile is, the lar- largest, longest river in the world, and especially in Egypt, it splits off into all of these uh, tributaries, all these other rivers that flow into the, the Mediterranean. Uh, and so the, the Nile in this metaphor is talking about the nation of Israel, uh, or not, I'm sorry, the nation of Egypt, the nation of Egypt. Uh, so the Nile is the, the, the crocodile or the dragon. He rules the Nile like Pharaoh rules Egypt. And uh, anyone who learns history, I mean, they, they say, well, why did Egypt become so uh, powerful so quickly? Because it's one of the earliest, mightiest nations. And the, the very first thing they talk about is the Nile. The Nile was their life source. I mean, this is where you had... Uh, fertile land. That's why they could grow their their crops and have so many growing seasons in a year and all of this. And uh, obviously, they didn't create the Nile. Uh, they're not the reason why they why they were uh, wealthy. Uh, it, was, it was given to them by the Lord, but they're behaving arrogantly. And I really like this uh, this comparison between Pharaoh and, as it says, the great dragon. And uh, I think it's kind of obviously talking about a crocodile. Uh, the Nile is filled with crocodiles. And, of course, the dragon, uh, it literally, he's talking about this long animal, this water snake. Of course, a, 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 a crocodile kind of has a serpentine shape. It's a long, uh, thin animal. And uh, you, you you notice this. Like I, I love uh, nature documentaries, watching you know Discovery Channel, learning about these animals and stuff. I've, I've always liked that since I was a kid. It's always interesting when you see these apex predators because they're so confident and they're so, they don't worry about anything. And you'll see like a gigantic crocodile, it'll just sit there in the mud and it's not afraid of anything. It doesn't move quickly because it doesn't need to, uh, you have a, uh, you know, it's not afraid of, of other predators coming after it. It's an animal that doesn't like get too close to it. It just has to move a little bit and the other animal will run away, whether it's a smaller crocodile or, or some animal. And then when it strikes, it, it, it kills and it eats. Uh, gigantic prey. Uh, and uh, this is very much the way Pharaoh is behaving. You know, he, uh, he is so secure sitting there in the mud uh, as if nobody can, can conquer him. But then we also know, you know, all these apex predators, whether it's the t- tiger, the lion, or, you know, the crocodile, they're all threatened, or, or many of them are threatened. Why? Well, because we, uh, people like to wear their, their skins. Uh, they like they they use their bones for things. There's a there's there's a prestige in being able to kill them. And of course, uh, as long as there've been crocodiles, there've been people who have gotten hooks and ropes and cords and nets and dragged these crocodiles out of the river mm-hmm. and killed them. Uh, and uh, so God is comparing Pharaoh to a great big crocodile in the Nile, who's king of the river, and everyone's afraid of him. 
but then just some men with a boat and some hooks are able to grab him and pull him out and kill him and uh and just leave him to be eaten by the birds so it's a very you know uh inglorious death that he is predicting for pharaoh and then the fish that that stick to his uh scales uh, this would be either pharaoh's army or the egyptians who you know fear pharaoh they cling to him and yet they have no hope in him so uh it's i mean we see this it's, it's ridiculous the claims of, of pharaoh and of egypt obviously they didn't make themselves great and uh, it is as uh as ridiculous as a crocodile thinking that he's the most powerful when a group of men are very easily uh, able to kill him we talked a little bit about this sort of satire that you get in this this literature in the previous text in Ezekiel 28 where the the prince of Tyre is claiming, you know, I'm a god and the Lord kind of mocks him and says, "Look, are you going to say I'm a god when these people come and kill you? Is is that how you're going to be talking about yourself?" And it's I think a similar thing here when it comes to this crocodile, you know, are you going to really gloat in that way when these men in boats are going to pull you out of the river and kill you? There's there's an element of satire there. One of the the things that stands out to me in this particular section is with the way that it's translated in this ESV as the great dragon, as opposed to just saying the crocodile. I mean, that, that brings to, to mind the language of the book of Revelation, the dragon being Satan. Is there, is there a correlation, a connection to the way Pharaoh is acting here and the way we see Satan behaving? I think so. Uh, and, and you see this in the Psalms, too, you know, the talk about Leviathan or the great sea creature. Uh, and yeah, the dragon is a symbol of Satan. Uh, and I mean, you see that in Daniel too, where you have these, uh, like the prince of Persia who is opposing uh, an angel. You know, well, what is this? It does seem that there are kind of correlations between physical, earthly enemies of princes and such, and kings and pharaohs, and the uh, heavenly or spiritual enemies of the of satan and, and his demons so uh as as you know king david is a uh, he is a a vassal of the lord he is a servant of the of the one true god so pharaoh is this servant of satan and uh he, he's doing satan's will and as the lord defeats satan as michael uh conquers the great dragon and casts him down to the earth, uh, and conquered him with the blood of Christ. Uh, so Pharaoh is going to be dragged out of his river and left out into the wilderness to dry up and, and be eaten by birds. So I think there's a very strong uh, connection that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost a prophecy within a prophecy, I suppose, that God's conquest over Pharaoh foreshadows his conquest over Satan. And we're going to keep seeing how the Lord speaks against Pharaoh and Egypt here in this text. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 29 with Pastor James Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 27th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 1 to 21 with Pastor James Price. He is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were talking about Egypt, the pharaoh being this crocodile that thinks he's all that, but he gets dragged out of the river with hooks. He receives his judgment for this, taking the glory of the Lord for himself. In the middle of verse 6, we see a bit of a transition, another reason that the Lord is going to bring judgment against Egypt and against Pharaoh. What do we what do we discover there? What's the next reason for the judgment that the Lord's going to bring upon Egypt? Yeah, verse 6, it's kind of funny. We, you do know, or people should know that the numbers in the Bible are not, like the verse numbers aren't a part of the original one. And I think this is an, a good example of verse 6. I think it's unfortunately divided. Uh, the first part, 6a, it says, Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. That's the end of this talk of Pharaoh being the dragon who is pulled out of the river. Uh, and again, the point of all this to show that, uh, that to Egypt, that God is the Lord, or that, that, the, that Yahweh is God. Hmm. Uh, that he is the, the only Lord. And then the second half of, of verse 6 begins a new focus. It says, because you have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. So if you were going to make a staff, like my kids make staffs, they find sticks and they make walking sticks, and then they usually turn into swords or guns. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to find something that's made of, like, oak, or I guess they're, I don't know, maybe they might use terebinth or cedar. I mean, that would be a nice strong wood. You're not going to use a reed. Reeds shake in the wind, as Jesus said. Uh, if you're to put your weight on a reed, it's going to break. So uh, here, obviously God doesn't like false gods, and that's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Uh, but here, it's, he's ridiculing the false god for being such a poor god. It's kind of, a, it's kind of like when, um, when Elijah mocks Baal. Zol, maybe he's on a journey, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's relieving himself. Or when Scripture will mock these gods, and they're made of wood. They can't hear, they can't see, they can't move, and those who worship them become like them. Uh, so it, he's, he's not just simply saying, oh, don't, don't worship false gods, which obviously God says. But now he's mocking Egypt, saying, oh, you, you thought that you could be a substitute for me. I told, my, I told uh, Israel to trust in me, and they trusted in you instead, which is bad enough. But then you failed them so miserably. Why didn't you protect them from Babylon? Why is Jerusalem surrounded uh, by the Babylonian army? Why can't you send your army and drive them away? You can't, because all you are is a reed uh, for a staff, and you're useless. So it is a, a, a strong rebuke against uh, e- Egypt. Uh, so Egypt... You know, and then again, then he talks about the the, the shoulder being torn, and uh, and this is a 
it, it, it's, it's a very good illustration where if you've ever stepped on something that you thought was stronger than it was, and then you fall, uh, or you lean on something they think is stronger than, than it was, and you fall, I mean, you can get really, really hurt, especially even by just your body you know, uh, jolting to try to break your box and surprise. Uh, and that's exactly what has happened to Israel. Just as a man taking a reed and thinking that he can use it as a staff falls down and tears his rotator cuff. Uh, so, uh, so Israel, who should have repented and called out to the Lord for help, trusting in Egypt, gets no help at all. Uh, they might as well be leaning on a reed. So the Lord speaks that judgment against Egypt for allowing Israel to trust in that way, for failing to be any sort of real help. The idols always fail. A good, a good picture here of Egypt failing as a false god. The Lord continues, and we have another one of those rather perhaps unfortunate verse breaks in verse 9 as well. Again, then they will know that I am the Lord. That's the first part of verse 9. And then really a new section begins, and I, I paused reading right there. So we're picking up in the middle of verse 9 again here in Ezekiel chapter 29. Because you said, the Nile is mine, and I made it. Therefore, behold, I am against you and against your streams, and I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and desolation, from Migdal to Syene, as far as the border of Cush. No foot of man shall pass through it, and no foot of beast shall pass through it. It shall be uninhabited forty years. And I will make the land of Egypt a desolation in the midst of desolated countries. And her cities shall be a desolation forty years among cities that are laid waste." I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them through the countries. For thus says the Lord God, At the end of forty years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered, and I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin, and there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the most lowly of the kingdoms, and never again exalt itself above the nations." And I will make them so small that they will never again rule over the nations. And it shall never again be the reliance of the house of Israel, recalling their iniquity, when they turn to them for aid. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. That takes us through verse 16 of our text. Pastor Price, in the middle of verse 9, we hear a repeat of, sounds like what was being said earlier in verse 3, that, you know, the Nile is mine. What, what new things are added in this section to that same glory that Egypt had been seeking for itself? Yeah, I think the first time he goes after them for saying that the Nile is, is my own, uh, that is directed at Pharaoh predominantly. And the second time, yes, it's a repeat, uh, but it, it seems to be a judgment against Egypt as, as a whole. And that's just my observation that, that I'm making. I mean, both both Pharaoh and Egypt are being being punished, and uh, both of them are guilty. And that's very much the way it works with Israel, too. I mean, you have uh, the, the kings and the priests are being punished, and then all of the, the nation is punished with them. And the priests will lead the people into sin, and the people also will lead the kings and the priests in sin as well. So it, it works both ways. I think that's also why with the fire, you have the prophecy both against the city and then against the people, uh, because, I mean, they, they go 
why I think is, is the distinction there. You also see how complete this is. It says from Migdol, uh, which is in the north, to Sain, which is in the south, to the border of Kush, which is uh, e Ethiopia. And then in, in chapter 30, which is past what, what we're going to be doing today, uh, he starts talking about all these other allies of Egypt. So Egypt has, you know, countries want to be allied with powerful countries. So he, they have Kush, Ethiopia, they have parts of Arabia, they have uh, all of these southern nations are uh, allied with Egypt, and they're all going to fall with Egypt. So this judgment against Egypt isn't even going to be uh, contained within the borders of Egypt. Then there's this talk about this uh, being uninhabited for 40 years. And from what I've read, this is uh, this should be taken symbolically. Uh, it's, a, it's an imposed time of penance uh, laid on Egypt by God. And of course, when we hear 40 years or the number 40, I mean, we think of things like uh, the 40 years in the wilderness. Obviously, that, that was a judgment on Israel because of their refusal to go and attack as God told them to. Uh, you have the 40 years of rain uh, when when God flooded the world, which, of course, was an act of judgment. Uh, then you also have the 40 years of Jesus in the wilderness, uh, which is his—I uh, mean, he's not doing that for himself, right? And when he goes in and uh, permits himself to be tempted, he's doing that for us, and it is appointed by God. The Spirit leads him out. So this is appointed by, by God that Egypt will be, will be destroyed. Um, so let's see here. And then, uh, when, when picking up on, on 13, so the, the other times that you, you read and stopped, it ends with saying, like, then they will know that I am the Lord. Right. Uh, the first one is toward the people of, Israel, of, of Egypt. The second one, I think, is talking about the people of Israel. When Israel sees Egypt being destroyed, or, or, or Jerusalem specifically sees Israel being destroyed, then they know that well, the Lord is Lord and Egypt was a false hope. Here, we don't have the repeat until down to, to verse 16. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And uh, he also talks about Egypt being brought back. And this is an interesting thing, because uh, Egypt is uh, it's such a hated country. It is an enemy of Israel, and it's been the enemy of Israel for a very, very long time. I mean, even in Abraham's time, uh, there were hints of this is not a good place that you want to go. I mean, you, you go to Egypt during famine. You go there when you're desperate, uh, but it's a blessing to be brought out of Egypt. Uh, I mean, we just talked about Pharaoh being compared to a dragon, uh, which is the symbol of Satan, right? And yet God still shows mercy to Egypt by saying that he will then restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros the land of their origin. Uh, so again, this shows that God is the God of all nations, and he has mercy on, on all nations. Uh, but then again, he does not let them be restored to their previous dominance, but they remain a lowly kingdom. And it's a very interesting thing. I mean, this is, I think, an example of those prophecies that endures, you know, to, to now. Um, I mean, we don't look at Egypt as one of the great nations of, of the earth, 
and we go look at it as a place where you know people might want to go there as tourists if it's stable enough. Uh, I mean, it's where the Suez Canal is, so I mean that's very important economically. But even then, I mean, uh, they uh, Egypt didn't didn't build the Suez Canal them, them, themselves. Uh, they needed other nations to 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 get that going. Um, and uh, I mean, they're just not a very powerful country. And and none of these countries that dominate Israel are really powerful countries anymore. I mean, look at Babylon. What's Babylon now? Well, it's Iraq. Well, you, you remember back in like 2002, 2003, yeah. and there was this debate, should we invade Iraq? Well, the debate was, you know, is this in our best interest? Uh, the, the debate was, you know, this is going to kill a bunch of innocent people bombing cities and stuff like that. This is going to cause more harm than good. Uh, the, the debate was, you know, are there weapons of mass destruction? Uh, do we actually have probable, uh, you know, cause to go in and invade this this country? Uh, the, there are all sorts of objections that people had to in, invade Iraq. Nobody said, oh, they might beat us. <laughs> oh, they might fight us, fight us off. I mean, a failure for us going into Iraq would be, you know, uh, not... Uh, not actually being able to change them into the nation we wanted to change them into. But the idea that they would have actually been able to fight us off militarily, nobody thought that they could do that. Nobody. I mean, I even Saddam Hussein thought that he could fight the United States off militarily. Uh, and, uh, and the same thing, and then Persia goes over and takes over Babylon. Well, it's Persia. Well, it's I- Iran now. Now, you know, hopefully we don't go, go to war with Iran, but, you know, people talk about that too. And the, the talk with that is not, oh, well, we wouldn't be able to take them over. Well, I think everyone's pretty confident that the United States could take over Iran if they wanted to. And the same thing with Egypt. So all of these nations that were just such, you know, they looked like it's so invincible at a time. And now today in our 21st century, in my we're like, oh, well, I mean, what's Egypt? What's, what's uh, Persia? What's Babylon? I mean, they're nothing uh, today. Hmm. And, uh, but at the time, there was a time where nobody could fathom Egypt not being the most powerful country in the world. And at, at this time, the time of this uh, prophecy, nobody could fathom Babylon not being the most popular, po- powerful country in the world. And of course, we know it's just, it's less than 100 years when Babylon gets taken over by Persia. Uh, but then who really is in control this whole time? Then again, you have this, the, the ending of this, uh, this third uh, prophecy here. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Uh, so it's the Lord who has power over all of this. The reason why Egypt is a great nation is because God made them a great nation. And, you know, they still have the Nile, right? They're still, in a, in a, I think, a, a good location geographically for trade. They should be a very, very rich country. They should be a very, very powerful country, and they're not. Why? Well, because God doesn't permit them to be. And I think that's the way it is with all nations. And, and I think we as Americans should also humble ourselves that – you know, we're only as powerful as long as God permits us to be powerful. Well, I think, you know, but, verse 16 there is very important in that regard, that, you know, it shall never again be the reliance of the house of Israel, that when the Lord takes down our idols, we recognize, or he intends us to recognize, and Lord willing, we do, that those idols can't save us. And and even if he allows, you know, say say that country to still exist, as Egypt does, we see that in that historical reality, they never were worth trusting in in the first place, and certainly they are now, so that we would know that the Lord 
that Yahweh, he is God. He is the only place for our fear, love, and trust above all things. And so he, he's in that business of taking down our idols. He's been doing it throughout history. He's still doing it to us today. We should take heed when he does. Got a few verses left in our text. We're in chapter 29 of Ezekiel. Picking up now in verse 17, we get a new time marker. We're moving forward significantly in history, and we've touched on this briefly uh, earlier. So let's let's read again. Now, Ezekiel 29:17. In the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald, and every shoulder was rubbed bare. Yet neither he nor his army got anything from Tyre to pay for the labor that he had performed against her. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall carry off its wealth, and despoil it, and plunder it, and it shall be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt as his payment for which he labored, because they worked for me, declares the Lord God. On that day I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. That's the rest of the chapter, Ezekiel 29, verses 17 to 21. Pastor Price, we touched on these verses previously, briefly, in terms of the setting for this text within these oracles against the nations. In terms of what's happening historically here, particularly in verses 17 through 20, what is Ezekiel being given to preach concerning what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to Egypt? Well, he's making it very clear that Nebuchadnezzar is the Lord's tool. He's the Lord's conqueror. Uh, so this isn't just happenstance that you know another powerful nation has come come in. Uh, you know, as you're reading that again, um, I, I'm gonna have to keep this passage in mind the next play, time I play Risk. Have you ever played Risk? And uh, you make a you make an alliance like with your brother or something, and you say you, 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 if you attack them, I'll attack them. And then you attack someone that you don't actually need to attack, but you're doing it for as part of a a, a truce. And then you just get you lose all your guys, and you don't get anything. You don't even get the conquer cards. Uh, there should be like some sort of you know uh, repayment for that. God <laughs> God seems a lot more fair. Uh, but yeah, so you have this idea that. Uh, And we mentioned this before, so the prophecy against Tyre is actually a few months later than the beginning of chapter 29, Uh, but here he, we think, we probably put it it here afterward because of this, to show that God punished Tyre, he used Nebuchadnezzar to punish them, but, you know, God's a fair God, so Nebuchadnezzar didn't get any payment. He takes over Tyre, he gets into the city, and he's like, well, there's nothing for me to take home. This is, all I have is just a bunch of injured and dead soldiers, and then, uh, and then a bunch of injured and dead soldiers on the other side that I now have to take prisoner and feed and clothe and all the other stuff. And this, is, this wasn't worth my time. So now God, as payment to his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, who's doing his bidding, he's going to say, well, now I'm giving them Egypt as a, as a payment, and uh, the, the storehouses of, of Egypt will pay uh, Nebuchadnezzar for doing my bidding and taking care of Tyre and uh, Egypt. Mm. So again, it just uh, it really just shows that God is the one who is in control. And Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, we we probably know Nebuchadnezzar more from the Book of Daniel because uh, Daniel is a more common book to read than Ezekiel. Uh, and uh, we see that God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, right? Uh, 
and uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's looked at as this bad guy. Well, he is a bad guy, yeah. uh, but he's God's bad guy, uh, and uh, God's using him. In the very last verse of this chapter, it sounds very, I mean, it's it's got all those, a lot of prophetic markers in it. On that day, that's a loaded phrase. And then I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel. This this sounds like we maybe should be thinking about Jesus in this verse. Is this a, is this a prediction of Christ? What's happening in this last verse of the chapter? Yeah, that's why I wanted to say, like, you know, when I first uh, was reading through this uh, in preparation, I got to that, you know, my eyes are kind of, you know, I read him, like, oh, da, da, da. and then I get to that verse, I'm like, oh, hey, now I get to talk about Jesus. And of course, I'm going to talk about Jesus, because That's right. the whole whole scripture is about Jesus. But it doesn't quite fit. There are some who will say, on that day, doesn't uh, mean, doesn't mean, oh, in this you know, chronological time, meaning, you know, after Egypt gets destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, that then this is going to happen, but simply... It's related to this, and and I think that actually could be be a, a reasonable argument because you see this all the time in these messianic prophecies where the timing of it and how does this work with you know two thousand uh, years ago or you know how how does this work out to be in the time of Jesus in the prophecy of Joel where he talks about you know pouring out his spirit how, like how does this time time work out. So I could see see that on that day doesn't necessarily mean at this time. But uh, uh, Kyle Dalich uh, commentary says, no, this isn't talking about Christ. And many others say, no, this isn't talking about Christ specifically. Now, a horn springing up, we have a couple of examples. One is Psalm 132, verse 17. It says, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. I think that's obviously talking about Jesus, right? Uh, this is, uh, Jesus is the descendant of David. He is the light of the world. Uh, the other uh, example is from Luke chapter 1 in the, the, the song of Zechariah, where he says that, uh, he, uh, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's obviously talking about Jesus. So is this horn here talking about Jesus uh, that sprang up for the house of Israel? Uh, what the Kyle Dalich commentary says is that this is a messianic, uh, it's, a, it's a messianic prophecy, it's a messianic uh, salvation that's being prophesied here. So not talking about Christ specifically, but rather focusing on the second phrase, and will open up lips among them. Uh, open up your lips among them. So what he has done is he's destroyed Egypt, he's removed this stumbling block in the faith, and now he's going to say, uh, uh, Ezekiel, now speak, and they're going to listen. And not just Ezekiel, but all the other prophets that will, or the few prophets who will be coming after him, and even the prophets before, uh, Scripture is going to be heard now. Uh, and people are going to be waiting for the Christ. And uh, so, I, I mean, it's obviously pointing to Christ, and says so that he is the horn. Uh, I mean, a horn is a symbolic for power. Uh, so it doesn't always mean Christ in Scripture. I mean, you have evil horns, right, that then are uprooted and things. We see that in the, the book of Daniel. And, uh, but but uh, horn
born here, it really does sound like Christ. And uh, I think what it's talking about, not necessarily the incarnation and uh, ministry of Christ and death and resurrection, but the proclamation of him, the making straight the way, uh, talking about people actually hearing the prophets and listening to them, and uh, John the Baptist even. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I, 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 to, be, to be honest, I'd like to, to sit in on a, a good Bible study uh, on, on this. Uh, on that day, and uh, to learn more about that myself. Uh, but uh, so it is a it is a hint toward the gospel. It does show that all of this that we've been talking about is not just simply a uh, a judgment against some nation that most of us have never been to, uh, but it is a preparation for the gospel, uh, so that people will have all these stumbling blocks removed and will hear and will open their ears and and listen. Uh, to the only message of salvation, the only true horn that will never be uprooted, uh, which is Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Pastor Price, with just about two minutes left on the morning, give us your final thoughts on this text, this first part of the judgment against Egypt, and how this text serves with all of Scripture to point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I think, uh, just a, as a, a recap, this prophecy overwhelmingly deals with the judgment against Egypt, uh, and and yet yeah, also deals with God's love toward Israel. So at a time that Nebuchadnezzar, who is God's servant, is uh, has a siege laid around Jerusalem, God is having Ezekiel prophesy prophesy judgment against Egypt for mistreating Israel. So even as he chastises, he still loves. Uh, it shows that he is the, the king and ruler of all the nations, and that all that he does is in preparation for the gospel. Why does he put a hook into the mouth of the dragon pharaoh and drag him out of the river? Why does he humble uh, the nation of Egypt and destroy them? Why does he send Nebuchadnezzar on all of these nations? Well, it's so that he can open the ears of those who need to hear the gospel, that they would not, as he says, uh, he repeats it three times, that all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord, verse 6. Then they will know that I am the Lord, verse 9. Then they will know that I am the Lord God, verse 16. Uh, and then he says, I will open your lips among them. Uh, so it's all for the sake of the gospel of Christ Jesus, uh, Jesus who is going to he is going to spring up from the house of Israel, and he's not going to be a savior just for Israel, but for the whole world. So just as God's judgment did not only fall upon Jerusalem and Israel, but spread to all of these nations, so God's salvation is not going to stay in the borders of Israel, but spread to, to all nations. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 1 to 21. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.